and welcome back to another episode of Opera Offstage. I'm Michelle. And I'm Jessie. And welcome to December. It's December 1st. Oh my goodness. It, this is my favorite time of the year. I have, you know, that Jonas Kaufman, it's Christmas playing on repeat. <laughs> I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you celebrate, not, I hope you guys had just a great weekend. And man, like December to me is like the Saturday of the year. It is such a good time. Everybody's a little bit more jolly. All the like lights and decorations. Like, ugh. we already discussed this, but I'm such a Christmas hoe. Like, my time is now. I'm so happy. I think my my one thing with Christmas is like it's so right after two other holidays that I'm always why I, I always it. feel like late to the curve of like you have to if you're gonna decorate for Christmas, like you have to be fast. Oh yeah, we're in the process of putting all our trees up. It's it's a grand old time. We got a black Christmas tree and a purple Christmas tree this year. Ooh. We get real spicy, spicy around this house. I know. I like the Halloween-inspired Christmas. That's very on brand for you. Also, <laughs> you know, we're always talking about the always. For the couple of weeks that's been out, we've been talking about the all I want for Christmas is you. But I think we're missing some other really beautiful highlights of that album. A one whore's open sleigh uh, is a personal favorite of mine. The country twang to any word that contains an R is so... It's There are so guys, many hidden jewels in so that album good. and you should be listening. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear Jonas. Doesn't even know how much he blessed us. You know, I used to listen to the All I Want for Christmas kind of like ironically and was like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And now I like literally listen to it all the time. <laughs> No, you can't help it. That's his secret. It's so entrancing. He has me under his little Christmas spell. Let me he's tell gonna, you. He's going to, Yoda is going to come out and he's going to say that he purposefully made it bad to market the album because he knew that one bad song would market the rest of the album better than like all of the songs being good. <laughs> it's going to be a grand marketing scheme. This is my Christmas conspiracy theory. <laughs> all I want for Christmas is really carrying the load of the all 41 other songs. <laughs> 41 songs. I'm not over it. I'll never be over it. I still haven't listened to it all. I love December. Because <laughs> so literally every other week in December is like a holiday week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's just such a good time. I know. Nice. And it's your birthday. And it's my birthday. Ooh, I'm going to be 26. That's scary, kind of. I'm so sorry. I'll be joining you in the ranks. I know. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm excited. No, it's it's fine. To me, 26 <laughs> was a bigger jump than like 25. Yeah, because once you're, you know, 25 is is all is all fun and games, and then you get to 26, and you're like, great, I'm losing my health insurance. I uh, am another step closer to 30. Like it's, I don't know. <laughs> It is a bigger leap than 25 for sure. Yeah, you're in the second half of your 20s like officially. Yeah. It's like a weird, it's a weird thought. But honestly, it doesn't define anything. Yeah, you're headed into late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Late (gasps) 20s. And you're like, what have I accomplished? Yikes. (laughs) Big oof. Awesome. Anyways, wow. Anyway, (laughs) speaking (laughs) of things we've accomplished, here are some announcements. 
Here's a list of things we accomplished to make us feel better. (laughs) So we have a role study guide coming out, and I am super excited about this. This has been a very long project. It's something I was really excited to put together because one of the things that I just don't always feel like is very well explained is how to actually prep a role on your own. Usually you just get the role and the presumption is you know how to learn music and you know how to memorize and therefore you know how to put together a role, but it's so much more than that. So we've taken a lot of our knowledge and the knowledge that we've been given and we've combined it into this really, really handy guide that is full of helpful like tips and tricks and a lot of worksheets for you to go through while you prep and it is especially helpful during this time when most of us are prepping roles on our own you may need a little more guidance than you can get through a zoom call oh my gosh yeah i undergrad me is crying wishing that i had this guide and honestly even postmasters me is really thankful that this guide exists because i think we like you said all assume that we know how to learn a role, but it's actually such a skill that not only takes a lot of patience and endurance to actually learn, but is a skill that is something that you need to keep brushed up. So it's a great guide, even if you have already learned 10 roles. Um, the worksheets in it alone are so helpful and easy. They're printer friendly. So I'm really excited. I've been learning Susanna from Figaro, and I'm excited to actually do some more in-depth work now that we have these worksheets. So... That's very exciting. So that's going to be uh, coming out on our website. You'll see it all over our Instagram. And there might be a little uh, sneaky sale coming up. Just a little bit. Ooh. Mm. We've also got a YouTube video coming out this week. We are talking all about bad music merch. Uh, Everything you've ever seen with that weird two-clef heart. We're going to talk about it. Everything that's not on your Christmas wish list. The fonts, they are over the top and unreadable. The instrument-based furniture, hideous. (laughs) And we are going to roast all of it for you. I love this episode. It was absolutely the most fun I've had editing. So I really hope you guys enjoy it. And then join us on Patreon, where we have pushed our mini-sodes to our $5 tier. So if you love our fun, silly episodes, boy, do we have some stuff in store for you, especially this <laughs> month. It's a lot of fun. We've got a lot of really cool things happening on there. So if you're interested in getting a little extra content, go check out our Patreon. And for just $7 a month, you also get all of our worksheets, the ones that are already out and the ones that we are going to be continuing to put out, which is an incredible deal because these are really helpful. So let's hop into today's actual episode, which is Papara. Hey! Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> rip, rip your way through this entire episode, please. You know what's been stuck in my head? Oh my gosh. My boyfriend's so annoyed with me because I literally <laughs> sing this like 70 times on a phone call with him and he's like, stop. But that... <laughs> you know that one little Shakira riff that she does? That's <laughs> like... That has been stuck in my head. I would put Shakira very low on the list of people I think who could sing opera. No, but I do stand Shakira. Papra, for better or for worse, is how a lot of people learn about our industry, how a lot of people know our industry. Obviously, one of the big people in the papra industry is Andrea Bocelli. No opera singer has gone through a conversation with acquaintances unscathed uh, when they mention their job (laughs) and somebody turns to them and says, oh, like Andrea Bocelli or I love Andrea Bocelli. Like he's definitely for people who are not in the classical music world. He 
is that person. He is the Santa of Papra. He gets brought up all the time. <laughs> Truly. And I, Michelle knows this because I told her about it. Um, I did not know. I was there when she. <laughs> so I, my family was never really into classical music growing up. I just like never heard of Andrea Bocelli until I was in college, really. And even then, like it was through the lens of classical singers. So I knew even less than I knew. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say is I didn't know that Andrea Bocelli was blind until like last year. (laughs) I just didn't know. The only time I had seen a video of him, no joke, was when somebody was telling me about the Ed Sheeran music video he did. And so I pulled it up just to like look at it and hear the combo of their them singing. Mm -hmm. And he was wearing sunglasses and like you don't have to do anything in a music video. So I just didn't catch on. Oh, so sweet. I know. I remember (laughs) when you called me and you were like, wait, is Andrea Bocelli blind? And I was like, hello? I had to look it up because I, I don't think I even directly asked you. I think I told you after the fact that I had looked it up. I think you were I think you were like I wonder why he was wearing sunglasses in the music video like what was the point and I was like Jesse. I didn't know <laughs> It's just funny because I know everybody's on a different end of the spectrum when it comes to Andrea Bocelli I like him You know what I mean he's sweet I think he has a good voice I think the tone of his voice is very pleasant even if it's not fully classical He's having a good time in his own little genre Yeah we'll get into like the full spectrum of like how people feel and why people feel that way about popper singers and like what makes them kind of these very divisive figures yeah and i think a lot of people really love his story even more because he is so talented and is also and so it was just very funny to me that somehow you missed that fact yeah (laughs) no that's on me that's just one of those things but i love when that happens because those are the funniest weird knowledge gaps i know (laughs) because why would i know if i had never seen him which i hadn't yeah Why would I know he's blind? It's not like you can hear it. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That's going to be the episode promo for this episode. How would you know he was blind? It's not like you can hear it. (laughs) Anyway. I also put Josh Groban in this category. I realize he doesn't really bill himself as a classical singer, but he does the prayer and he does some classical singing. And he definitely sings in a more classical style. He does the Vincent piece with the guitar the starry starry night and so i definitely think of him as someone who benefits from that popper label yeah jackie ivanko is another person who definitely definitely fits this also probably one of the more divisive people in this category because she was a child star Mm -hmm. and that never bodes good things in the vocal side of the classical music world Mm mm-hmm I, I actually haven't really kept up with what J- Jackie Ivanko does, but I, she never, as far as I know, has actually made the full transition to, like, opera. She still mostly does concert work. Yeah. Um, Sarah Brightman's another person I'd put in this category. She definitely has sung classically, but obviously most well-known for Phantom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sarah Brightman has that very steely side to her voice that maybe is not so classical which I think lends her into going into the more of the popera side of things. But that like steely pinpoint quality of her voice, uh, I don't want to quite call it shrill, I think is what kind of turns people off from her like totally fully classical work. Yeah. And then another really like popular little trio who I think are kind of trying to brand themselves like the the tenors did back in the day uh, is Il Devo. Oh, totally. 
That's fully their brand. And Il Divo is the band that your mom will love, I promise. My mom loves them. My mom went to a concert of them. Not even a joke. Yeah. My papa, like, recorded one of their concerts on TV and was like, oh, you got you got to listen to it. It's classical music. And they're great singers, I think. Your family will love them. Oh, my God. My family is the king of They're opera. definitely, I actually am really grateful for them because I actually do think they're a pretty decent intro to the field. I think I think a lot of people like them. I think they're obviously very cute, and I think they do a good job of getting people interested. Yeah, they're all very handsome. Yeah. Anyway. Although I will say, spill the tea, there is one singer, and I don't know which one it is, that's like significantly better than the rest of them. I thought you were about to say like significantly hotter, remember. and I was like, where are you going to go with this today, Michelle? <laughs> Ranking <laughs> popper singers by no, no, no. hotness. That's like, no, no, no. He's There's like one singer that's like significantly better and i was like it's kind of rough but it works for them anyways <laughs> that's that's probably the the list of the most prominent popera singers that you know if you bring up the fact that you're a classical musician at your local christmas party somebody's going to allude to one of these one of these guys on this list and the real question here is like why within the classical side of this community do popera singers get so much hate <laughs> because the the general so thing is, like, we spend so much time riffing off of, like I said, I didn't know who Andrea Bocelli was until I got into music school, and then I only knew him because people were trash-talking him, which is part of the reason I didn't watch him, uh. because I was like, okay, guess it's not worth it. <laughs> I think one of the really, really big things for all of this is that a lot of them lack a bit of the formal side of the education, you know, with mm-hmm. people like Jackie Ivanka, where she was clearly too young when she started to fully grasp what she was doing. I think there's a mm-hmm. little bit of frustration with it for people who have spent years prepping stuff. Yeah. I think it's also like the general public assumes that if you're within any facet of the classical music world that you're an opera singer oh that's true you know what i mean and so like you'll have people who have like a more classical tone but have never sung classically or like aren't classically trained or have never been in an opera and they're like oh it's an opera singer um and i think that kind of sits weird with the opera community sometimes which is just like okay whatever like get over it like you you understand the point that the general public is trying to make but i think that falsely calling somebody an opera singer when they've never been in an opera or are classically trained, I think, turns a lot of people off. I, it's like the the butterfly meme. <laughs> Free and open vibrato. Is this yeah. an opera singer? <laughs> yes. If it yeah. vibrates, it's an exactly. opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely true. And I think there is that kind of frustration when you see people talking about opera singers who many of them may have may never have actually been in any fully staged opera. And don't mm-hmm. have any intentions of doing so either. Like, that's the other thing. It's not like these people are trying Mm -hmm. to be a part of the classical world. They're very happy where they are in popra. So it can be frustrating to see them as the face of classical music when they're actually not engaging in a large part of the industry. Yeah. I also find myself very sad that, like, they obviously do concerts, but I rarely see them do anything that would be considered recital work, which... Mm -hmm. That's true. To me, I I think recitals are part of showing the world who you really are as a musician in terms of like I don't know just like a de- putting together a recital is a big thing it's a bit different from doing a concert I don't know I don't really actually know how to physically describe the difference but there is one yeah I think if out of out of this list if anybody does this the most it's probably actually Andrea 
Bocelli yeah. because in his like more recent concert tours, like at least sixty percent of the stuff he's singing actually is classical works. So it's like a pseudo recital. But yes, most of these opera people are not engaging in classical music enough to really label anything as a, a recital. That is true. I think the other thing is obvious <laughs> bad diction. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, especially bad Italian diction. I think Italian is the, the, the language that suffers the most. Yeah, I mean, and I think it is, it's exactly the thing of like pure vowels. Also, I don't feel like I ever hear any of these people sing in French. Which I don't blame them personally as a person who struggles with French, <laughs> but like people just don't even touch it. 100%. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge reason why these popper singers get so much hate because obviously like we are just beaten with diction from <laughs> the genesis of our arrival into classical music that it's like to then have like a full blown like concert tour and still have bad diction is like just rubs everybody in the worst way possible. Oh, yes. You know, the other thing is, like, in line with this is singing rep that is not appropriate for them, whether that be, like, age-wise. Like I said, with Jackie Ivanko, part of the thing is, like, she was singing stuff that she really didn't understand yet because she was a kid. But also, like, is can be really damaging to your voice. And the same thing with some of these mm-hmm. older singers with choosing arias that are famous to sing even if they don't suit you because they are famous yeah because people want to hear you sing them you'll sing them anyway and that's a uh, that's almost disingenuous to do to take on a thing because you know it'll be popular even though you know you're not going to be good at singing it because you know like (laughs) the general population won't notice or care all i want for christmas um interesting yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a gift to the world and I won't hear anything about it. That's that's up there in my top 2020 moments in terms of the positives, which I'm not sure if that just says more about the year itself, but we're keeping it. Oh, but I guess the other thing is like, do popper singers actually deserve like the roasting? I would say yes no. and no, depending on what we're talking about. But I would say in general, they don't deserve all of the anger and frustration that classical singers occasionally give them. Yeah, I really I really don't think they deserve the hate for for the most part. There are certain things where it's like, eh, as a musician, you should probably improve this regardless. But overall, I do not think that they deserve the hate that they get from the classical music side. Yeah. I think I think there are definitely things where I do look at it and I'm like, "Come on now." But I think in general, I think it reflects really poorly on us that we let these things happen because it is exactly what we want to avoid when we talk about classical music, which is this idea that we are all pretentious and that we look down on other forms of music. I think realistically, Popper really suffers more from bad music journalism. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, in the lines of Anna Netrebko is the Beyonce of opera. <laughs> oh my God. But that's the thing is like for people who don't know classical music, they shortcut as a way of explaining it, we'll call these people classical singers. And most of these singers will mention their classical training, but do not actually market themselves as opera or classical. They do market themselves as what they are, which is more along the lines of popera. So I think it's less of some of these people yeah. pretending to be that and just like bad music journalism, not being clear when they talk about this style. And not really defining it as what it is. Absolutely. And that used to be a huge trend, like in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, of having these artists who are great and labeling them as as classically trained. 
Like, they're more just trying to say that they, like, took voice lessons. You know what I mean? And we're not, like, formally classically trained. And so it's just kind of interesting how, yeah, that music journalism can really upset either side of the community by just merely mislabeling singers. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they do increase the visibility of our industry. And once mm-hmm. again, it's frustrating in its own way for to have to talk about our industry through the lens of singers we may not like or may not think represent the best of it. But it also gives us a great opportunity. So the, I want to just say this. The next time somebody comes up to you and talks about Andrea Bocelli and uses that as their intro to, to talk with you about classical music... Do not dunk on Andrea Bocelli or talk about how he's not really well liked in our industry or because all you're doing is making someone feel bad about trying to connect with you because turning them and saying that the one opera singer they know is not a real opera singer can just be very elitist and very condescending and they are not going to want to continue that conversation. Yeah. The much better path is to say, oh, well, if you really like The Prayer by Andrea Bocelli, you should try listening to this. Or, like, if you really like Phantom of the Opera, like, we should watch this opera by Mozart. Yeah. Like, take those pieces that they're singing and talk about a different recording of them. Be like, you know, my favorite recording of this is actually by this person. Like, use it as a segue to introduce them to other singers and other groups and other pieces by that person, if that's the opportunity. But... Show enthusiasm when people engage with you on this and and don't shut them down. Yeah, totally. That's so true. Because like this little old grandma that probably brought up Andrea Bocelli probably genuinely loves him. And when you dunk on him, it's just going to make her sad. So don't hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah, and nobody likes feeling like, you know, we, we've all said we've all had bad music opinions. We've all said really <laughs> yes. stupid things in front of better musicians who have corrected us. And... And not that liking Andrea Bocelli is some kind of sin in the music industry, but <laughs> you need to to be a little more gracious than that with people who, who, like I said, are trying to engage with you on that level. And that's the thing is, this is actually an excellent gateway to getting people more into classical music. It really helped my family because, like I said, my family didn't listen to classical music much at all. So when I started singing it, it was definitely helpful to have these groups to send to them to kind of ease them into the classical music world and get them ready for the stuff I was doing and and help them kind of prepare to hear recitals and things like that. Totally. I mean, man, can't be salty because think about how much money Bocelli and Sarah Brightman probably made off of the prayer. So much more than we get paid. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're just out here living their life. Okay. Best of luck. Yeah, and don't get mad them. at people no, who delicious. who do the things that are occasionally necessary to to work as a musician. Yeah, I think everybody benefits from just thinking of opera as its own individual genre rather than it being pop or opera. It just is its own thing. People exist in this own sphere without being far right or far left on the end of the spectrum. So it's just like opera is its own thing. Those people are vibing. Yeah. I don't think they deserve all the hate that they get from the classical mu- music community. But, you know, things like bad diction, I'm like, y'all, if you're telling me you're going around on tours singing with like Celine Dion and all these like random people, like I think you can hire a diction coach. Yeah. Just my opinion. <laughs> but other than that, they're just vibing. Even then, we've obviously seen that that does not solely go to pop singers dabbling in opera. <laughs> goes both ways oh god but yeah there's definitely a great way of using this to actually make our industry better as opposed to trying to just shut it out Mm -hmm. 
but yeah kind of more broadly outside of popera there's a lot of conversation about crossover work in the opera industry and i think a lot of people have the sentiment that you know if you're a singer and you come from classical training it's easier to sing other styles but then on the flip hand it's harder to move into classical music from other styles but is that true see this was definitely something that i've said aloud <laughs> oh this is something i fully went i literally went into undergrad with this sentiment yeah this is definitely the thing that everyone will tell you when you're going in because it's only in recent years that like pop music degrees have even come into existence Mm -hmm. it's still so hard there's still there's a handful of places in the u.s to get like a real popular music degree yeah the more i listen the less i necessarily think that's true i think actually the biggest imposition in terms of jumping from pop music into classical music or any other form into classical music is uh, is the historical knowledge necessary to do it Mm -hmm. because you can jump into pop music and there are tons of styles within pop music there are singers who basically speak (laughs) their way through their song Mm -hmm. you know vibrato no vibrato breathy you know very resonant like there are a lot of variety in those types of voices in pop music whereas in classical music there are right and wrong ways to do things and they all depend Mm -hmm. on when something was written how it was written you have to be able to sing in pretty much at minimum four languages like i think it's more so that like you do need some level of education in order to do it whereas pop music you can make on your own Mm -hmm. so i would say that it's less about the singing style and the pedagogy in general and it's much more about like the historical knowledge is is the biggest gap because it's just it's not easy to pick up a new language, even with coaches. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I roughly think that the sentiment that having classical train training means it's easier to sing other styles. I think that there is some truth to that, but I think that there's a threshold that once you pass and you like really go into classical training, it's really hard to undo. It does, I think, become increasingly harder to switch into other styles the longer you train unless you have like another voice teacher who trains you in that other genre that you often sing in or if your main voice teacher doesn't also have knowledge of like pop or jazz or something like that i think the longer you study classical music yeah it's hard to switch yeah you kind of have to be like doing it pretty consistently throughout your time otherwise you do you just get so used to a style and once you do it's really hard to jump out of it again Mm mm-hmm Yeah, absolutely. But without classical training, if you don't routinely take voice lessons or like know really like the pedagogy of how the voice works, I would say it's very hard to move into classical music because that's such a huge part of the ongoing learning curve. I I will say this. I think you would have an easier time if we're talking about like middle of the road, like not so overwhelmingly, like not a full opera career and not a full pop career. Like, if you had people at the start of those periods, you would see it was easier for the classical singer to move into the pop world than the pop singer to move into the classical world. I think the general sentiment is true, but I think in practice, we give it a little too much credence. Totally. So let's talk about opera singers singing pop. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see how they did. So first up is Renee Fleming's Dark Hope album. Oh, yes. Which, like, definitely... So, if you've ever tried to look through Renee Fleming's discography, it is immense. 
Oh, yeah. There is so much in there. It took me forever. I think there is actually another uh, similar pop-ish album hiding in there, too. But this was the main one that I found. And the one I was most interested in because it's a lot of indie rock. Which I did not expect from her. And also, I didn't I didn't hate it. Like, I, I went in there expecting <laughs> to really not like it. I don't dislike Renee Fleming, but I don't like her musical theater albums in general. And I kind of expected I wouldn't like the pop albums for similar reasons but she actually really gives herself over to the style entirely and it's it's very fun to listen to I don't know that I like any of it better than I like the original tracks I don't know that I think she does anything so interesting with it that I would necessarily go back to a lot of them but I I thought she did a really good job oh man well I just gotta take a second to talk about the moody album cover it's like it's fully embraced oh gosh I first saw it in a Renee Fleming's album covers could be in my I could write a novel yeah I first found I first heard about that because I found a CD in a record shop of that album and I was like huh <laughs> that my, my Renee Fleming <laughs> but what's so funny is the album includes music of Muse of Leonard Cohen, the Mars Volta. And yeah, I think the thing that's really successful about it is the fact that, you know, she fully embraces the style. She is not trying to sing this music operatically whatsoever, which I think is why it actually is kind of cool. And it's interesting to like hear someone, you know, as incredible as Renee Fleming sing in a totally different style. And obviously, Renee in recent years has ventured into more musical theater and sang, you know, the song You'll Never Know for Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. So she's doing all sorts of stuff, right? She went on Broadway. I really appreciate the fact that Renee has been so immensely successful in opera that she's like, you know, I did the thing. I'm just going to go and have fun now. Yeah. I think that's so And cool. I also think one of the things she did for this album that was like a little bit better was that she clearly chose stuff that kind of fit into maybe a little more of a singer songwritery feel than straight up mm-hmm. rock or pop yeah. and I think that allowed her to use like what naturally makes doing that switch between opera and pop really hard and I think she used it to her advantage by choosing something that benefits from the things we do in opera totally yeah another artist is I'm apologize I'm probably gonna butcher her name but it's Milena Ehrenman She's mostly recognized in Sweden and Europe, so we don't hear too much about her um, over in the U.S., but her song La Voix is like half pop, half classical. It's wild. She performed it in the Eurovision Song Contest, which like is already kind of funny in and of itself, but like it was so successful that she later recorded it and has gone on to do a lot of pop work and classical work. And it is interesting to me how she switches between the two like in the same song once again i don't think that she fully switches i mean she's like full classical when she's singing classically and her pop is a more classical pop but it is interesting to to see somebody who was classical found such success in a pop song and then like went more that route i think it's very interesting yeah but also we just freaking love eurovision and it's full eurovision glory it is exactly what you were probably imagining Oh, if you haven't ever watched any of the revision, like go watch some of the compilations on YouTube. I I don't think anyone has as much fun as Eurovision. Mm-mm. They are just out there to have a good time, and that is exactly what they do. Another big name in the opera industry that's done a lot of pop, and I did not know this about them. Torio Grigolo, ugh, sketch man, has randomly done a lot of stuff. 
there's a recording of him singing My Heart Will Go On, and it's it's okay. It's not so bad. <laughs> he also appeared alongside Lionel Richie and proms in the park. He's appeared on Dancing with the Stars and The Bachelor, which I also didn't know. That was shocking to me. It was like Vittorio Grigolo on The Bachelor. I feel like I must have been Bachelor in Paradise, but that's another conversation. I had no clue about that. He also recorded an a <laughs> Bachelor fans, Bachelor Nation, let us know if you've if you've spotted him. I can't believe I just said that on our opera podcast. Amazing. He also recorded a pop album entitled In the Hands of Love. He recorded a Grammy-nominated album of West Side Story. And he recently was featured in a Carnegie Hall concert with Sting and Bruce Springsteen. Oh, wild. So he randomly, like, he he did a lot of stuff in the kind of, like, popera pop realm before he became a big name in opera, which is crazy because he sings at the Met and all over the place all the time. I love his voice. I do not like him as a person, but sketch, sketch <laughs> man. But besides that. He's randomly done a lot of Papra. That just makes me think of when Pavarotti used to do all those concerts where he would sing with rock singers. And I've never seen someone give oh. over, give themselves over to another genre less than Pavarotti. <laughs> Pavarotti <laughs> so only true. does Pavarotti. And he will never do anything else. And only. that's his thing. And that's fine. But it was very funny to watch him like sing with these other people. And like the, the styles and the voices are so disparate that you're like... I don't know why, why we're here. I. It's so true. It's like he randomly stumbled onto stage and he's like, well, I guess I'll just sing an Italian verse in this rock song. <laughs> Go watch some <laughs> of those videos. They're so funny. Oh, I love and them. of course, Jonas uh, <laughs> Kaufman's All I Want for Christmas is You. That's what, oh, we can't let we it can't go. We can't get more than like 15 minutes without bringing up Kaufman. <laughs> I guess too, just because I think he's... One of the few, like, he's not younger either. That's the thing I was going to say. He's, like, kind of one of the younger singers. I guess it was just interesting to hear someone who's so popular right now, who's so hot in the music world, in the classical world right now, you know. Who's so hot. Who's so hot. <laughs> do do a pop song uh, and do it objectively very poorly. Because <laughs> once again, like we joked about the popera singers having plenty of access to the funds and things to have people coach them so did Jonas Kaufman it's not like he didn't have access to people and diction coaches and people who would have taught him how to sing them. Uh, my man really said nah <laughs> Mariah I got but him. how will I have time for the 41 <laughs> other songs we need to record here's a fun drinking game just take a shot every single time we bring up this album <laughs> Um, take a shot every time Jonas Kaufman just like leans so hard into an R that he falls off of. <laughs> you will not survive that album. That he creates his own vowel. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So there's a little recap of opera singers singing pop. So then the reverse is op- uh, pop singers singing opera. I, when I was in in uh, undergrad and I was prepping my recital, I found a classical album by Barbara Streisand and it is first of all oh the naming of these albums like is an art in like Renee itself. Fleming called hers Dark Hope which is moody but appropriate for the style that she wanted to sing Barbara Streisand just called her hers classical Barbara <laughs> I think that's which is so to me good. the equivalent I of Jonas Kaufman just calling his just album classical Michelle. it's Christmas <laughs> like it, you're not wrong I love it. But also, it's so to weird. what end? Why would you not just... Anyway. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. She... I think Barbara Streisand, like, actually does a really good 
job dramatically interpreting these pieces. And they're also, they're not all big arias or anything like that. It's a lot of recital rep, essentially. Yeah, it's pretty much almost entirely art song. Yeah. Which is what would be more appropriate than like giant opera arias, you know? Yeah. For this type of transition into classical music. And I think her appraise on Rev is actually really cute. Like it's, it's, um, Jesse and I were talking earlier, and this to me is like Emmy Rossum. I think that's what her name is, the girl that plays Christine in Phantom of the Opera, the film. Yeah. And like that type of classical tone where you're like, wow, this person actually has like a very beautiful tone. It's just not quite opera. That's how I feel about Barbara. But like, I freaking love Barbara. She's perfect. And I will absolutely accept her classical singing. It's so sweet. But it is. It's very dramatic. And that's what she's known for in in her pop work and her musical theater work. And she brings that into classical music. And it's very nice. It totally works. I think you could learn a lot about dramatic interpretation from listening to Barbara Streisand sing these pieces. And because that's what she's really leaning on to carry a lot of the music. Because I will say, like, the, the big giveaway for me are, like, two things. Number one. She's kind of got a breathier voice because that's just her style. It doesn't particularly bother me, to be honest, but um, it's definitely breathier than I think most classical singers. And then it's the language. Like, there are just points where it's clear that she doesn't understand the flow of how German works. But it's not, like I said, it's not off-putting. It's, you just notice it. I think the thing that, like, I, that makes me not care so much is, like, even if the pronunciation pronunciation? is not spot on... <laughs> the, the, God, the pronunciation. <laughs> wow, I can't speak. <laughs> awesome, great. Just because she can't pronounce them words doesn't mean she doesn't know what they exactly. Mean. You know what I mean? Like it's she, clear she does like, know. Like, goodbye. <laughs> Signing off. <laughs> that is the funniest thing to mispronounce. Objectively. <laughs> oh my God. Anyways, she definitely knows what she's singing about. You can tell. Because the choices that she makes are so strong and so spot on to the actual word for word translation of these songs. That, that, and that's what I think bugs a lot of people about popera singers is, you know, whatever, diction's bad, you can always poop on diction. But it's when they don't know what they're singing about and this, the rep is also wrong, which this is not the case with classical Yeah, Barbara. she clearly very thoughtfully chose pieces that she would sound good on. And that, I think, is always the big mistake that I see people making when they cross over either direction is they're so focused on showing off often, maybe because, you know, you want to show that you can do the thing, that they don't choose things that are good for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another deep cut reveal from like a couple weeks ago in one of these Facebook groups, somebody posted Michael Bolton singing Nesung Dorma. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I clicked on it. And it was actually so good. I I would put Michael Bolton so high on the list of people who I think, like, with just a little bit of tweaking, actually could just sing opera. Here's the thing. He sounds way better than so many other people that are, like, actually classically trained artists doing the thing. You got to twi- tweak his... I can't speak. You got to tweak his diction, and you got to, like, tweak a little bit of the style and the vowels. And he, like, this man could have a career. I'm convinced. But before we talk any deeper, we do have to talk about, once again, the album title, which is <laughs> My Secret Passion, The Arias. I This is such a sketch name. I love it. But I love it. I will be memeing this title for years to come. <laughs> I just, My Secret Passion, The Arias. We should, t- we should, we should call this, this episode 
my secret passion, Papra. <laughs> I can and I will. I think. Oh god. Yeah, no, I actually think he's really good. I was even listening to his one of his Boem arias on this. This you could actually switch out this set list with any of the Pavarotti albums. That's that also cracks me up when I was looking through it. But no, he's a he's a good tenor. And I think he once again benefits from the the style of pop that he sings um, in that his dramatic interpretations, his emotional energy during these is so good. You want to hear mm-hmm. him sing it. <clears throat> yeah. Beautiful tone, like Barbara. Just beautiful tone. We love it. So, so in the 90s, the the other thing that, uh, this is just a little bit of a goof one, because this is not something that she had prepped for. She just kind of got up and did it. Aretha Franklin once stood in for Pavarotti at the Grammys. And she freaking sang. Pavarotti called in sick, and she just went for it. She sang Nesundorma in octave. It's, I honestly... I sing classical music in the shower the way that she sings it at the Grammys. Oh, yeah. Like, just full pop. It's so fun. It's sexy. I don't think it's supposed to be For sexy, but it all is. all the fact that, like, <laughs> it's incorrect in many ways. In, in every single way it could be correct, but it is so good. I mean, she's she's actually, you know, pretty much singing the right notes and the right rhythms, which, considering that she didn't really True. have the right t- the time to prep. Is pretty impressive. True. I I personally would never get up and do this. You could not pay me oh, to no. to not know and just like get up there and sing something. And I think she has a heck of a time doing it. And she stays true to her personal style. And it's very fun. You should go listen to it if you haven't. Yeah, and Aretha Franklin makes no pretensions about being an opera singer or a tenor for that matter. <laughs> oh, oh, but she is Pavarotti. She is. Oh, she's so good. Um, and I yeah, so that one that one's just kind of for fun. She just takes it on and and honestly does nothing to sing it as an opera. She just sings it as she would and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. this this definitely reminds me of when Michelle and I will sing Bati Bati back and forth, but like like a bad pop singer. Like a bad Cardi B song. Yeah, like think early two thousands. <laughs> well not even either bad Cardi B or like early two thousands Hillary Duff. Ooh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my last song on this list is this is really one of those unfortunate music journalist moments top 10 music journalist moment betrayals but was when ariana grande and andrea bocelli released a beauty pencil like in 2016 and it's it's not opera let me just start off by that in case you haven't heard it it's just italian pop right um it's like a pseudo classic italian pop song and everybody in the world like lost their mind and was like oh my god ariana grande is is an opera singer it's amazing this this hidden talent and like the classical music community like literally lost their mind and ariana grande never claimed to be an opera singer like in this world whatsoever she just sang a song with andrea and like she got so much hate for it once again we are suffering suffering from bad music journalism (laughs) Yeah, she got so much hate for it. And at first I was like, are you kidding me? But then when I realized that, like, she was not claiming, I was like, oh, okay. Like, that just sucks because this one music journal just really set her on fire. But also, just so we can state it very clearly, we're talking about opera-esque Italian pop. This song has nothing on the prayer. (laughs) Just, just saying. The prayer. The prayer bops so much harder. (laughs) than their song together but that just made me laugh because you know when you think of the 
of pop, especially now, Ariana Grande is one of the biggest figures. Oh yeah, in the industry. So I guess my next question is just like, who do you think actually does it better? And like, opera singers taking on pop or pop singers taking on opera? Because I personally think that. I mean, it obviously depends on the singer, but like from the ones we listed, I I do think the pop singers kind of have it. I think I think Mol- Michael Bolton takes the cake easy. No yeah, doubt. well, even then, like <laughs> like I said, the care that Barbara Streisand put into prepping that album matters, and I think mm-hmm. I I think maybe it is that the pop singers are a little more aware of the gap between what they do and singing classically than the classical singers are of the gap between classical singing and singing pop. Yeah, I think it depends on the singer. I also think that I think the two most successful on that list, obviously, were Barbara Streisand and Michael Bolton on the pop singer side. But they also come up from a different era of pop yes. that is much more adult contemporary than it is what we consider pop today, which I think is why I would give the win to them. But I don't think that the vast majority of pop singers today could make that same speech. yeah like celine dion barbara streisand michael bolton uh, a lot of singers from that era of what i would still refer to as pop but yes are definitely still singing like they're still singing full out because mm-hmm. <clears throat> they have good technique and like part of their part of their um appeal during that time was like the sheer power of their voices so you wouldn't see mm-hmm. some of the singers we have now who do a lot more like spoken or a lot more breathy or a lot more very stylistic singing who like you wouldn't hear Billie Eilish really ever take on opera. <laughs> and that's fine. She's good in the no. genre that she's in. She doesn't need to prove that she can sing classically. But we are obviously nitpicking from an era where the pop singing is massively different from it is what's popular now. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I do sometimes hear that argument that like kind of the weird sentiment that like if you can sing classical music, then that means like you're actually a really great singer. And that's not true. Like you don't. If you're not within the within the classical realm, you don't have to sing classical music to show you're some like great studied musician. Yeah. Like Billie Eilish is perfect where she is and is a fantastic singer. I the think. mistakes that classical singers make is assuming that the entirety of singing comes out in the form of technical ability. Yeah. If I am an incredible technical yes. artist in terms of like visual arts and I can reproduce art with like photographic ability, like that's incredible technical skill, but it unless I do something with it, it doesn't really show anything other than I can recreate things. Yeah. It doesn't show that I have anything to say. And the other part of of singing and of being an artist is having things to say. (laughs) And I think pop singers have it over on us because many of them, you know, work on or work with people to make their music. There is a personal Mm -hmm. level and a personal take on it, which is why I kept saying when I was talking about Barbara Streisand and Michael Bolton is like, you can tell that they've put real thought into the emotion of what they're singing. They have a take. Totally. Technical singing is technical ability is not the entire thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I th- I thought a nice little thing to close with would be the pop singer and opera legends like montage of them performing together. There's a very cute recording of Renee Fleming and Josh Groban singing a medley from Brigadoon for a live Lincoln Center broadcast on PBS and it's kind of funny because Renee Fleming is like so fangirling over Josh Groban which is just the funniest thing ever. I am also fangirling over Josh Groban but they're like so chummy. I think he's really dorky cute. (laughs) 
But it's just really hilarious. <laughs> a confession. Uh, he's also really good uh, on uh, Great Comet. I'm just throwing it out there. I think Josh Groban has one of the most beautiful tones of voice. He's very talented. But yeah, they're super cute together. He sounds great singing that medley. Like, just love it. I love their little dynamic. You can just tell that they get along super well. Um, there's another. No way. I do um, have to pause you here because I'm not done talking about Josh Groban. Hold on. There's another video of Elvis Costello and Anne Sophie von Otter, which is so wow, funny, singing for the stars on the Late Show with David Letterman. So go check that out; it's very cute. Um, one of my personal faves probably has to be Freddie Mercury and Montserrat Caballé singing Barcelona to celebrate the city being chosen for the 1988 Olympics. What a dynamic! Freddie Mercury is easily already an operatic tenor. Oh, Freddie Mercury is probably one of my all-time favorite vocalists ever. The man is just like what a, what an insane talent. An I can't even put unbelievable words voice. Insane his voice. Oh my god. And okay, let's keep going because otherwise I will fangirl for like twenty five minutes. <laughs> it, oh, it's so you have to look it up, you guys. It's so cute. It's kind of odd, but like. You can tell they're having such a good time singing together, and the audience is going insane. Like, it is so fun. It's It has the best vibes. And then one of my other favorites is Pavarotti was definitely the king of doing pop duets, although I 100% agree with your earlier statement that, like, it's basically Pavarotti doing Pavarotti, and then he has some other musical guest doing something entirely different. <laughs> um, but his Pavarotti and Friends concerts obviously were a huge sensation, and he collaborated with a lot of giant artists like U2, Lou Reed, Cheryl Crow, Celine Dion. Um, but one of my favorites is his performance of singing It's a Man's World with James Brown. It's so lit. James Brown is also like fully fangirling over Pavarotti when he sings his like really random, once again, Italian interlude between James Brown like singing his song. But like James Brown is just looking at him with like such loving eyes, just so impressed. And it's so sweet. Get yourself a man who looks at you like James Brown looks at Pavarotti. Truly. If your man doesn't look at you the way he does, like, <laughs> he ain't your man. It's so good, though. I, I love the little melding of styles. Yeah. You should watch it because it's fun. To close this out, I actually would love to hear from you. And I actually want to hear this both directions from you. What pop singers today would make the best opera singers? What opera singers do you think might make actually uh, could do like good pop music? Well, it's a little unfair because I would probably say Josh Groban has a high chance on my list, especially if he were maybe not opera, but if he were to go into art song, I think it would be beautiful. But like who maybe like someone we haven't really talked about today who doesn't exist in pop. Like, I mean, a straight up pop singer. Hmm. Well, I'll throw some out there and you keep thinking. Okay. (laughs) I actually think even though her style is really breathy, I think Ariana Grande could do opera. Oh, she's definitely got the range for it, 100%. Yeah, and she's got a lot of vocal flexibility. I've heard her sing musical theater. I think she can probably style switch pretty pretty well. Yeah, I think I think she'd, she'd actually be able to do it. And I also think because her voice is so flexible that even though her voice is kind of light for opera, like, it, it, it'll cut enough. I also actually think that Lady Gaga could do it. I think I would listen oh. to a Lady Gaga. I've heard her do, like, the crooner album. Yes. I actually yes. think hearing her do art song would be so cool. <gasps> I love Lady Gaga. 
my god she has such a beautiful voice oh her voice is so good gosh i was not prepared for this i (laughs) i don't know i think i guess somebody's voice that i when i listen to it i'm like gorgeous sing to me every moment of every day is john legend oh wow but i feel like he could he could dip more into musical theater i think like more like r&b musical theater than maybe like opera but yeah no i could Mm. definitely think about hearing him um maybe on like the more classical art song and once again i think that's the problem that most people do is they skip straight to arias when they could do art song and do it really really well well yeah i mean there's such a breadth of art song that would be like way more in between the genres than just going for like ye old bohem aria are there any opera singers you think who could pull off pop i think this is actually to me the harder question yeah i'll tell you what it's not Jonas kaufman well janae bridges oh that's true has done more popular rep also i kind of feel like maybe lisette oropesa yeah i could definitely see that this this i don't know actually that i have anyone that i feel particularly strongly about it <gasps> lawrence brownlee oh true, true true i think lawrence brownlee would kill a pop song that's my answer <laughs> i would love to hear from you guys on our instagram like who do you think from both fields would actually be good at, at crossing over yeah give us your ranking and then we'll see who gets the most votes yeah we'll we'll post those and we'll we'll have a little discussion but yeah please reach out to us i want to hear all about what you think whether you agree or disagree whether you love renee fleming singing pop or you hate it or any of these albums we may have missed i will gladly hear i want to know what you would name your crossover album (laughs) i personally am still really stuck on my secret passion but classical Barbara I really do want to hear all your thoughts on this one because I think this is like just such an interesting issue for our industry and like uh, maybe an interesting myth that we have about classical singers and pop singers and the ability to cross back and forth while you're doing that please hop on to Apple Podcasts and give us a review it's super super helpful and if you leave your insta in our reviews uh, we'll show you some love because we really enjoy reading them and they're so sweet and it means the world to us. Don't forget to go and grab your role study guide. It's super helpful and I know a lot of us are prepping our work right now and that guide will really help take you through the process. And then finally, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, which are all at Opera Offstage so you can hear more about our guides and our mini-sodes and all these great things we're going to be putting out this upcoming month. We're so excited to close out this year with you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.